so uh, once again thanks a lot for uh, joining this uh, the purpose of this uh, panel discussion is to give audience uh, some kind of a scope on terms of how banks and fintechs can work together and uh, we are glad to have a great panel panel today uh, we have uh, mr pr shashadri who is the ex md and ceo of karur vaisya bank he is uh, also a, a, a city banker spent a lot of time in city bank after that spent a lot of time with with a lot of banks in in general as is more of a uh, you can say he has been there done that and just before uh, this this uh, call we were talking about how uh, 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 mr shishadri was in city financial and it was that so much we have invested at that time in in technology and doing good uh, so thanks sir sir for joining it uh, we have another panelist in uh, kashinath hariharan mr Har uh, kashinath is a head transaction banking for payments in icici bank again a, a veteran in banking uh, spent a lot of time in icici i personally has met kashinath sir sometimes back uh, while we were trying to work with uh, icici and on cadex platform Uh, we are deeply integrated with ICICI in terms of uh, payment processing. Uh, thanks, Kasina sir, for joining. Uh, we have a third panelist, which is uh, uh, Prasanna Madhyastha. Uh, Mr. Prasanna is uh, currently heading the enterprise uh, 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 vertical for Credex. He is also an ex-ICICI banker, spent more than uh, 15 years with ICICI Bank, and for last four years he is with Credex. So he is possibly the, the one person. who has worked on both the bank side and the fintech side and understand both the side of it thanks prasanna for joining again hey all uh, good evening it's a nice evening in bangalore here hope you all are uh, safe and healthy yes of course yeah so i will start with uh, uh, you know a little bit on on what's uh, going on in the market and wanted to get the views of the panelists on it so we all know we are in a post covid world a lot of things has changed uh, you know with social distancing uh, government also trying to uh, push a lot of things but at the same time we have seen how finance ministers has comes to help uh, the msmes and and the businesses uh, with with even rbi came out and uh, given us uh, you know uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, liquidity in the system and also uh, rbi has given moratoriums uh, for for the payments etc so just wanted to address so i will start with my first question so uh, my first question is sir that how do you see and this is the uh, first question to uh, mr shishadri is uh, sir how do you see the banking uh, structure uh, currently evolving in india and also how do you foresee this changing or not changing in the post covid era thank you manish and uh, thank you very much for having me on today's uh, webinar um it's a very uh, broad question that you ask and therefore very difficult to answer that in a short period of time in a crisp manner let me try and um, you know talk to you about what is happening in the indian banking world today the indian banking world is broadly split into two parts there are the psu banks and there are the private sector enterprises um prior to the covid uh, you know pandemic striking us we had uh, you know some sort of problems associated with a few of the private sector institutions you know yes bank to name one we had a clutch of uh, uh, cooperative banks that had problems uh, then you had a issue with a large uh, mutual fund uh, provider all of this is making the average indian uh, customer uh, let's say the depositor risk averse so my view in my estimation the deposit growth will now get a little skewed for the present uh, with more deposits going towards the public sector entities and lesser deposits growing towards the private sector entities and that is not a particularly good uh, situation for us because much of the credit growth that was happening uh, in the indian market was being driven by the private sector entities and the ability of the private sector entities to create value both for their own constituents and for their customers has historically been uh, a little bit higher uh, than the capability of uh, of the public sector to do so so that's one challenge that i see the other challenge that i uh, that i foresee is the impact of the three month long hiatus that we have had in our business 
the fact that we have now given six months of moratorium on payments to a large section of the banking community, how that will impact banking balance sheets is a, is a question that one needs to see. So if you look at it, the public sector institutions were recapitalized. I think uh, when I last saw the number, something like three lakh crores in the last four or five years has been put into the public, uh, private, uh, public sector banks. And I think if you go back uh, further, the number may be larger. Uh, and their capital levels today are not very high, even after the recapitalization. So, and the government has said that they don't want to put more money into it. Uh, so consequently, their ability to take risk will be a little limited. On the private sector side, the capitalization levels are better, but uh, one really doesn't know what the impact of uh, you know, COVID is going to be on the balance sheet. And I suspect that most public private sector entities will also require to raise capital. So I think these are the two drivers. One, there's going to be a liquidity problem. I think in the near term, that may go away as people forget about, you know, what happened with Yes Bank and what happened with the large mutual fund and so on and so forth. Uh, and maybe normality will return, but that will take time. Uh, and in the meanwhile, you have the issues arising from, from COVID. So to cut a long story short, I think we are going into a challenging period for Indian banking as such. Uh, it's not very clear how PLs and balance sheets will pan out, uh, you know, six months, nine months down the road. Really, we don't know what is happening till till the uh, effect of the moratorium ends and till we have some reads as to how people are paying. So uh, I think um, uh, it, it's going to be a period of consolidation. I think risk is going to be something that people are going to look twice, thrice, maybe four times over before they take it. I think banking as such will have to start thinking of uh, becoming cost light and infrastructure light. Uh, the fact that they have three monopolies helps banks to survive. Uh, and uh, they will have to work closer with fintechs. They will have to figure out a method of exploiting their capabilities more uh, as they come out of this. So my apologies for taking a long time, but you know that's, uh, that's what I think. We are going through a period of uh, very significant change. And uh, uh, as we come out of it, uh, the face of banking will look quite different from uh, what we have today. So let me leave it at that and turn it back to you, Manish. Thank you once again for having me on this program. Thanks, thanks, Mr. Sushadi. Uh, Kashi, sir, your view, you are still part of, uh, you know, working in the bank and you may have a more insider view on, on the moratorium, which uh, Mr. Sushadi has spoke about, uh, which is, and I think of, out of all the lenders, uh, we have only seen uh, Bajaj Finserves coming up with certain kind of estimate on how the moratorium, how many people has opted for moratorium, uh, how is it looking like for them. And uh, their figure is not as bad as what people has thought it could be. So when initially people thought that there would be a lot of people looking for moratorium, uh, in some uh, loans it, it is, but in some of the loans still the moratorium asked or sought by uh, customers are pretty less. So what's your view on, on that, sir? So um, uh, thanks uh, once again, uh, uh, Manish and uh, the team Credex for uh, getting me here on this call. My pleasure and privilege. Um, just to start off with, uh, I think I've just uh, uh, you know carry forward the point which Mr. Sheshadri made, articulated very beautifully, and what he said that uh, uh, you know most part of it, what Mr. Sheshadri said, were also true in the pre-COVID period, and it has got exacerbated hugely. During the COVID period, and uh, and therefore it you know if, if there was a linear way of predicting, we could have done some kind of a prediction. But the COVID has kind of distorted the you know any kind of uh, you know prediction of as to what would happen, and rightly so you know uh, to call uh, which way it would go would be uh, dangerous. So uh, so so I, I think um, uh, I would like to bucket it as uh, you know three periods of uh, of, of our B as we may say for the respect to the banking industry. So one was the, uh, the you know, so the, see the normal period, which is the pre-COVID period, which beautifully and, uh, you know, articulated by Mr. Shishadri. The COVID period, we've seen, uh, you know, uh, suddenly uh, people are, uh, you know, uh, is the abnormal period, as we may say, the normal period, abnormal period. 
and then we are going to have the new normal. So let me talk about the new normal. Uh, and I would like to attempt this uh, uh, not as much from the bank perspective, but from the customer behavior perspective, which will also have implications uh, uh, to the banking side of the story. So uh, we all, uh, uh, you know, have been, uh, you know, perhaps working from home. And uh, we've seen uh, that, uh, you know, uh, over the last 60 day period, most of us uh, have seen our own consumer behaviors dramatically changing. Um, whether it is, uh, you know, running large, uh, you know, corporations uh, through home or, uh, you know, consuming pretty less, you know, uh, we were all, uh, you know, discussing in an office chat group of how the credit card bills have literally been zero over the last couple of months. Uh, a plus attitude towards uh, what is uh, required and what is uh, profligate spending, uh, those are taking perhaps a very hard look. And people's uh, outlook towards creation of investment, wealth, etc., etc. Those are uh, those are you know th those aspects uh, from the customer behavior perspective is going to uh, change dramatically. Um, that's important because uh, uh, you know it is the pull uh, you know which will create the demand for loans. And if uh, there are permanent shifts in attitude towards consumption, which is the main driver of uh, the Indian economy. Um, one might see uh, uh, that there would be a, a you know a, a muted growth in terms of the asset uh, book uh, you know from the consumer lending perspective and therefore you know the uh, credit lending to many of the corporates and so on and so forth. So that's on the consumer side. Um, there is also uh, as rightly articulated by uh, Mr. Shadri, there is a huge dearth of banking supply. So normally it's always been the other side. Uh, so there's a Good banking supply constraint today. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know there are there are certain banks and certain uh, uh, you know things which are reticent towards uh, lending uh, in these environments. Um, so banks are also going to be extremely choosy in uh, in kind of uh, giving uh, uh, credit. Uh, so so uh, uh, we will see. So my my personal view is that we will see a, a kind of a contraction, which economists are calling any kind of recession X Y Z or whatever term you use, net-net uh, the shifting attitudes of the customers towards uh, uh, consumption, the short supply of, uh, of, of banking capacity, both put together is, uh, is what uh, the new normal is uh, all going to be about. Um, how this plays out, you know, it's, it's anybody's guess. Um, obviously, we can't paint everything with one brush. It's going to have segmental ups and downs. So, so sec sectors like uh, entertainment, uh, you know, uh, hospitality, etc. We are already seeing a lot of strain. Yesterday, I was having a conversation with one of my friends in Bangalore. He said that many of the pubs and restaurants in Indranagar area have been kind of permanently shut down, obviously because of labor shortage and also financial issues. So we're going to see a whole new realignment in the new normal, and. Uh, I think it's a storm. Uh, we don't know where the end is. Uh, you know, we don't know what how, how to call it. So, uh, so it's 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 like uh, we have to dig our uh, head into the soil and look at uh, go back to the fundamental principles of design. Why we do what we do. Um, you know, become leaner, become stronger. Uh, cut out anything which is uh, you know wasteful. Uh, you know, in terms of where. Uh, we can save uh, either effort or cost uh, or non-remunerative line of business. And, uh, you know, it, it is kind of completely into uh, making yourself strong. Uh, so uh, once the, uh, the new normal starts returning, uh, I would tend to think that the market will offer uh, multiple opportunities for those banks and financial institutions which, which have uh, understood uh, or which have pivoted their business model, uh, you know, rather rather quickly, which will suit to the situation. So no longer can you kind of do your uh, lending and banking in the same way that you are you are experienced of doing it now. So you would need different kind of credit filters, uh, uh, you know, uh, from a uh, completely changed uh, environment. So so I guess the key message here is that the banks and fintech, uh, uh, you know, in, in this space have to kind of consolidate right now. And uh, go back to the basic, uh, you know, uh, look at the processes, eliminate the ones that are not yielding results, make it robust, make it lean, 
and be ready for when the uh, you know market opens up uh, to kind of uh, fight back and sure. those that are uh, you know quickly able to pivot uh, will be the ones uh, who do it so so uh, you know in summary i would say that uh, in the current times uh, you know in the bad times uh, you should be the last one to fall and the you know the uh, you know the the least to uh, to fail and when opportunity comes you should be the first and the fast fastest so i guess uh, um, that is what will take uh, to be a winner thanks thanks kashish sir it's it's very informative uh, and it, you have pretty much set the tone for the next question so there's a lot of question a lot of talk going on and uh, on digital banking side uh, but one of the hindrances of digital banking or going fully completely digital was regulation so there was flip flop on rbi from ekyc to video kyc to different format and even like uh, uh, you know signing of agreements contracts e signing etc so what's your view on on that piece uh, in terms of the uh, digital adoption and mostly the digital adoption more by the regulator rather than the banks uh, and how do you foresee in a post covid you think that it's going to get accelerated much much faster than what it is uh, uh being happening earlier yeah uh, so uh, can i uh, take that question okay. yeah yeah so uh, manish uh, the way uh, so let me recount some of our uh, you know as we are speaking we have a transacting experience uh, which is going on so yes we have indeed seen a massive increase in the digital adoption both at the retail customer level as well as the corporate side and the sme side uh, by usage of the various uh, you know uh, online channels of banking because the branch capacity has been severely restricted by people's restriction to actually go to the office um yes uh, uh, we have kind of pivoted our entire business model to uh, to be able to service almost everything let me say literally everything uh, today as i speak uh, uh, to be able to uh, uh, to kind of deliver all kind of banking services and that has you know actually launched us in good stead and we have seen a lot of business uh, you know that we have been chasing for a long time coming to us and saying hey look why don't you do it for us and just because we were able to deliver we were able to pivot in you know, you know within a three four you know within a weeks time we were able to quickly pivot our business model whatever was physically possible whether it is in terms of agreements escrow you know physical signing and stuff like that so we've been able to quickly pivot our business models uh, and uh, uh, you know operate uh, completely from uh, uh, you know from a e uh, electronic way of interacting with the customers uh, yes there has been a uh, uh, lot of resistance from customers uh, we have seen that but you know slowly and steadily we have seen customers coming and adopting uh, back to the digital uh, way of uh, you know uh, transacting and adoption of various digital channels so so i definitely think that there the, uh, you know the trend is very positive because people have felt Uh, they have uh, many of the fence setters have crossed the fence and they have kind of started to try and they have seen the advantages the speed and the convenience and the frictionless uh, uh, you know part of the story that they have definitely seen and experienced uh now the the key question is that will we see a uh, you know reversion to the mean uh, you know when the normalcy uh, happens um uh, you know you know human behavior is pretty strange uh, you know uh, we can recount back say 2 3 years when the demonetization happened and there was a huge surge in digital and all of us know that and uh, once the cash supply came in and uh, you know the uh, the the circulation of uh, physical currency in the economy has uh, grown manifold since uh, demonetization so yes it was a jolt people suddenly took up to a lot of digital means and we did see overall digital adoption go up but also cash circulation go up so the key challenge now is to maintain the momentum to ensure that this convenience stays and uh, we don't do reversal uh, of the mean customers don't come back to their old practices bankers also don't come back to their uh, old practices fintech also don't come back to their old practices so it will take effort of the ecosystem to move in that direction of uh, uh, actually uh, maintaining this for a longer time so that uh, the digital adoption will be Only grows, but yeah, it it's been a very very positive surprise. I must say the way customers have responded to the current situation, and so have bankers. Sure, sure. Uh, say, sir, um, a question to you. Um, Can I uh, before that, uh, Manish? May I add to what uh, oh. Kashi was uh, yeah. talking about? 
I completely agree with what he, you know, said so eloquently. I think there is a long-term movement, uh, you know, towards uh, more digital methods of engagement with clients. Uh, that doesn't mean that uh, you know face to face will go away, but it will change. What will happen face to face will change. So you know, I used to keep asking my uh, folks within KBB, you know, why should a customer come to our branch? Is there anything that he has for which he must come to the branch? And after much thought, they would tell me that he must come to the branch if he wants to operate his locker. <laughs> that is the only thing for which. His presence in the branch is mandatory, okay. And locker is not bank's normal business. In fact, it is an add-on so that we can pay for the damn strong room, right? Right. Yeah. It's a matter of paying for the cost of the strong room. So already, the nature of the branch has to change. And you know, we we kept talking to them and saying that look, you know, he has to come to the branch because he thinks he's getting value. When I say he, it includes the feminine. I mean, I don't want to be perceived as a member of the patriarchy. So it is um, he comes he or she will come there if he thinks that some value can be given to him, right? Some advice can be given, and advice can be of two forms: one for individuals, and one uh, for businesses. So our people in the branch have to get trained. They must be able to provide value-added services to clients of the future. Right now, banks are operating like operation shops, and they're extraordinarily expensive operation shop. Taking some voucher, taking some check, debiting some account, paying out—all of this can happen from home, right? So I think there's going to be a huge change in the way banks perceive themselves, employees within banks perceive themselves, and that will happen over a period of time. It is an unstoppable thing. So within uh, KBB, what we had done was we probably, you know, very uh, most people don't know this, but we are fully digital. I mean, KBB was fully digital. All loans are digital, including execution of the contract is digital, even for home loans, auto loans, personal loans. And there was an API gateway with whom we, with which we could connect to every everybody else. So we had an APG API gateway. For instance, the uh, Amazon's pay uh, pay later product is actually financed by KVB, which is an old uh, private sector bank. So what has happened today is that actually people who are moving into this situation later are at an advantage. The more automated institutions are locked in with legacy software solutions and legacy software is more difficult to deal with than no software at all because building something new using new technologies is easier right so my view is over a period of time banks will have a whole host of fintechs with whom they will be doing business right and they will provide levers where they aggregate customers and the banks provide the balance sheet. What is a bank? Bank is nothing but a balance sheet, right? And um, so banks will go back to their traditional role of being providers of balance sheet. FinTechs will provide customers, will provide the engagement model, will provide you know smarts with, re with, with respect to how risk is managed. Obviously they need to be well capitalized if the banks have to believe them, right? But Banks will become more and more balance sheet providers so that fintechs can ride on them. The fact that fintechs cannot take deposits means that they will have to perforce rely on a deposit taking institution, which is a bank. Sorry, I interrupted you when you were going to ask me. Yeah, this, this is very nice. Sir. So uh, it's it's very nice point that you have made. Uh, actually, in a in a way, you have answered my uh, next question. But I just want to build it up. What I have seen. Uh, you know, being part of banking and then coming out of bank and part of fintech is, uh, you know, the way banks assume fintech is uh, more like a competition rather than a collaborator. And, and fintech also sometimes, uh, you know, wants to become more like a uh, competition to banks. So it's very funny that what I generally say is that banks wants to become as agile as fintech and fintechs are trying to become a bank. So there's, uh, you know, what do you think is, is the best modus operandi for banks or fintechs to collaborate with each other? And, or do you think fintechs is just a fad and it will pass away? Or do you think that it's a more uh, long-term relationship between the banks and fintechs uh, that will continue? 
I think it is a method by which uh, customers can be accessed and particular products and services made available, okay? Um, which the banks themselves may not be able to do. So uh, the way I, uh, I see it is that banks over a period of time will come to rely, realize that they are at some level competitors, at some others they are entities with whom you have to collaborate because it is in the mutual interest to do so. Um, uh, by and large, given the size differential between the two, I suspect that there will be a more collaborative existence than a competitive existence. Uh, a fintech that wants to become a bank will be neither a bank nor a fintech. And a bank that wants to become a fintech probably will not be able to do it. Though I'm a little surprised by the level of paper that many fintechs use. Uh, you know, I have when I was working with KVB, we used to deal with a whole bunch of these fintechs. And very often we found that some of our processes were had, was more automated than some of theirs. So um, if you're going to be FinTech, then you must, uh, you must live up to, uh, to those words and you must have technology that does stuff that uh, is advertised. Um, so I, I think over a period of time, you'll find more and more banks uh, engaging with them. I know for a fact that, you know, Banks like RBL and banks like Yes actually had, had done a lot of work with them and I think ICICI as well and uh, people like us. So we um, in KVB, we had got six or seven such relationships where we had an API gateway. The guy used to do some typing at his end and everything would come to our end. We could run our own scorecard and instantaneously say yes or no to a loan. And we could also fund it instantaneously. So all of that is possible technologically. And obviously the fintechs will have to deal with banks who are willing to engage them in that manner. Not everybody will be. Uh, but I think more and more you'll find that people will be willing to do that because uh, the, the world is changing. As uh, Kashi was saying so eloquently, I mean, um, you know, people's needs are changing. And um, the way they engage with banks will change. I think fintechs are a mechanism that will enable banks to evolve to meet the needs of uh, customers in the future. So, Credit Sir, when we started, we decided that it will be a completely digital platform. And a uh, few of the banks, when we started working with, uh, banks said that, uh, you know, we want to work with Credit because you're a digital platform. Uh, at the end of the conversation, they said that, can you get my application form, wet signature by the customer and we said that but we are digital right so we, we have to be completely digital but then there is a wet signature on, on number of application and number of contracts that comes up so i i can totally relate with what what you are saying on on that front uh, so prasanna this the, this this is a question to you and as you are part of both uh, you know fintech and and banks and you have seen uh, you are in the middle of you, you are one of the earlier employees or earlier joining of of credx and you're also uh, being held so many senior position in banks so what do you feel is you know maybe there's something which banks are missing or there's something which uh, which uh, fintechs are missing is there is a point or is there a way they can collaborate much better than what they're doing right now hey manish uh, thanks for the question uh, i hope i'm audible um, so basically, uh, it's 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 a it's a journey for me um, between uh, shifting from bank to fintech uh, company Credex. I would like to put it in a nutshell uh, uh, this way. Um, so basically, banks being um, uh, heavy on customer base and uh, um, the kind of hierarchical structure which they have. And the kind of uh, simplicity and agility and the speed and convenience what the fintech uh, brings in, and and the eagerness to grow with the kind of innovative ideas, um, I feel there is a little amount of gap. Uh, when I started um, with Credex, I did meet a um, couple of, uh, in fact, at least 20, 25 banks to explain uh, what we we do. And then, um, thanks to, uh, in fact, most of the things uh, Kashi and Shesar uh, and Manish has already expressed it. But this actually, uh, the, uh, these banks were typically looking at from a curiosity point of view, what is we doing? And uh, from a, uh, you know, um, from a uh, competitive point of view, that uh, is it this going to sustain? 
and we're looking at collaborating only to have the best of world. So that's the feeling which I used to get. Then over a period of time, things have changed. And I would like to explain uh, why it has changed. So um, typically, uh, the kind of, um, you know, the challenges which bank has is more, I, I could understand, is that kind of security they have, they need to maintain and the kind of worries they have around security. Like, you know, tech stack integration, data field matching, API matching. So these are something which their worries are. And apart from the kind of, um, you know, uh, confidence they have in the customer base they hold, um, and then somewhere we I, we realized that as a fintech companies, uh, along with the idea we bring in, we also have uh, some amount of uh, zeal in our mind um, that we want to compete with the banks. However, we say that it is very far away to compete with the banks, but we somewhere in the corner we have that mindset. So I guess it's a it's a an activity which at a bank side some amount of uh, uh, mindset to be changed and the fintech side company side some amount of mindset to be changed and that is where the collaboration can happen uh, some data i would like to throw um, the digital fifth there was an event um, and then i was just going through that event and i could i was like wondering so uh, that that uh, data said that there are 100 uh, such fintech companies and I guess uh, it is not 100, it will be more than 1,000 or you know, fintech companies in the market today. But what I wanted to highlight is that there are around, uh, across the banking uh, you know, services, uh, whatever products and services the uh, you know, banking system offers, uh, the fintech is present in all uh, measures. So I'm just trying to say that today they have, we have uh, fintech companies who are into uh, banking data management, the credit bureau, um, you know, alternate um, uh, credit platforms, KYC and, uh, uh, you know, AML and risk management companies. So uh, th there are good amount of avenues which uh, these fintechs have figured out and, and trying to work on innovative ways uh, to uh, make the customer experience better. Uh, and uh, that's what is happening. However, uh, uh, but in fact, to the honest point of view, all the fintech companies has to sit on a banking platform at least from a banking account operation point of view. Now, the question is that how much bank can work with these fintech companies, making the experience more automotive, one. And two, is there a probability that uh, banks can expose their customers and look vice versa? Uh, and some of the successes I've seen in the banking exposing our bank getting customers is that, you know, the kind of integration a drip capital has done or an open as a company has done. Uh, that this good amount of uh, you know, integration has happened and we see a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, synergy there. And, and as Shaysar said, uh, banks like ICICI, uh, you know, Yes Bank and RBL has uh, shown a great amount of ownership and approach towards this fintech in a true sense of collaboration. However, so there is uh, still amount of, um, uh, and of inertia uh, from these uh, banking system to see really there can be a, you know, long way collaboration or a growth oriented collaboration that is something we i feel we are yet to see and uh, we will be very happy if that happens because uh, 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 trust me uh, there is good amount of value add these fintech companies are bringing in and collaboration can give a uh, so basically it's an end customer right so it's all about uh, satisfying the end customer's need and giving a better experience to the end customer. And that is what every, uh, you know, fintech company uh, across avenues uh, is looking at, right? So that is something which uh, uh, I think is going to happen and we, we are looking forward to. And second thing is, I was reading an article saying that he, it is becoming very difficult to um, monetize these integrations, the tie-ups or the collaborations. So how do we monetize? Like, for example, uh, fintech company feels that they are giving value adds. So do there some, is it that they should receive some monetization or a bank will feel that I have a database, should I receive some monetization? So this is one part of another topic where uh, there is a, there are a lot of discussion which goes uh, uh, at, to a dead end uh, because of monetization. So I guess this is my experience, which I have seen uh, with then my colleagues in different FinTech companies and being a banker, the transition of mine from a banking to FinTech and that's what I had to share, Manish. Very well said. So if I have to expound on that uh, a little bit, uh, this is very interesting. Uh, you know, it is that, uh, you know, let me tell you that uh, uh, banks are the way they are because of what uh, Mr. Sheshatri, uh, you know, talked about in terms of their legacy systems. Um, 
I can assure you that there is no lack of intent or purpose in kind of refining customer experience. You know, it is like, uh, you know, it's a running, uh, you know, it, it's a difference between a doctor uh, and a mechanic. You know, uh, you know, why is a doctor so highly paid? Is that, uh, you know, he has to uh, do an operation of a heart uh, and keep the patient alive and the heart has to keep beating. I mean, that's not the case with the mechanic. You know, the car is completely dead and then you kind of replace the engine or a pump or whatever. You know, that's a huge world of difference and that's the problem that we as bankers uh, deal with. Like, how do you bundle uh, the old with the new, right? You can't trade off. Uh, the trade-offs are, are, are very challenging uh, from an infrastructure IT perspective. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, and also the, uh, the regulation angle is something that, uh, you know, uh, is, is always a big overhang, uh, which uh, from a fintech perspective, I, I, would, I wouldn't say that people throw caution to the winds, uh, but um, the way in which uh, uh, RBI audits the bank, uh, the severity of that and, the, uh, you know, the various things that come in uh, are never uh, known to fintechs. Now they will know many of the payment service aggregators, etc. They are getting into the, you know, the bandwagon of uh, regulation of RBI. And rightly so, because this is uh, fiduciary responsibilities. So that is what prevents bank from actually, you know, jumping into the bandwagon and uh, actually creating uh, uh, the new money. But uh, I can tell you, hold your breath. This is all changing. Uh, both infrastructurally, banks have realized the power of uh, APIs as uh, Mr. Sheshadri mentioned, um, there are uh, massive infrastructural changes that are underway uh, across banks, I must say. And, uh, you know, uh, the architecture is getting nimbler, fast-footed. And one is not just talking about, uh, you know, uh, when you talk about collaboration with bank and fintech, oftentimes we refer to, you know, uh, normally it's a lead referral model that, you know, the fintech will kind of source leads and then polish it and transfer it to the bank and so on and so forth. Uh, largely, it is uh, you know the space that is being talked about is the retail and the you know the MSME kind of uh, thing. That's that's what it's talking about. But there is a huge space out there which is uh, you know in the absolute B two B, the large corporate space, uh, SME space, and corporate banking space, where huge amount of payment solutions and uh, credit related programs and data analytics and a huge lot of things which are relatively untouched. Now that's the area, if I say positively, where fintechs uh, are technically not working. I mean, you are one of the exceptions, uh, Manish, who, who are, who's invested, uh, you know, in the periphery of this area and doing a great job. But if you see this space uh, is uh, rarely uh, populated by fintech. I mean, I, I don't come across too many fintechs who are poor B2B, uh, you know, in, in terms of their nature, that their customers are large corporates or, you know, and, you know stuff like that. Uh, I, uh, so my message uh, would definitely be that we as a bank definitely look forward to deep collaboration with the fintech of, uh, of, of, of uh, all space, more specifically, uh, the B2B space because we do feel there is value uh, in the way fintech work, uh, the intellectual capital that they bring in, the agility that they bring in, etc. And in the B2B space, the challenge is not as much customer acquisition, but uh, more in terms of servicing the demand and efficient and uh, you know a meaningful way. Uh, so, so we as we as a bank are pretty open, and you know we've invested big time. In fact, even. Uh, taken stakes in some companies, which is a part of our annual reports uh, and check. Uh, so, so, so the banks are all making the, the right move. From a fintech perspective, uh, uh, you know, uh, I would tend to think that uh, fintechs try to solve very narrow problems. I mean, that's the way as a banker, I, I, I think. There's nothing right or wrong about it. See, banks think of themselves as universal boss. I need to do the right from account opening to servicing to you know, post-servicing to recovery to uh, reporting to RBI and, you know, there are hundreds of things that a bank does uh, besides uh, managing the branches and so on and so forth. Uh, but uh, uh, fintechs tend to solve uh, the, the one narrow set of problems which, uh, you know, which they are good at. So uh, while that's a good thing, uh, the not so good thing uh, around that is that, you know, when I want to tie up with a fintech for a particular thing, then the left and the right of it, I, I have to look for other solutions. 
so i have to talk to fintech number 2 fintech number 3 acha you do this you do this and then you know put this whole thing in a basket and starts making sense for me so then the question arises boss if i have to do so much of tires then why might i not try to do it myself after all it is all investments of technology people process it's not the know how gap it's it's more about actually you know uh, getting down there and uh, you know executing it so that's where i think it stands so uh, so uh, i think art uh, uh, bank is pretty welcome in terms of joining hands with multiple uh, uh, thing uh, uh, you know fintechs and this collaboration will 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 exist the market itself is pretty large i would tend to think and um, uh, there is space for all uh, i think the this, this it's it's only collaboration that uh, will work very well said uh, kashish sir very well said so uh, i'd move into uh, say sir so uh, mr shrijadri you are always being a stalwart of technology you said you uh, you know in when kbb you started digitizing the entire bank i know my experience from city financials where uh, you know you spend so much time in making sure that we have a uh, you know really amazing technology for everything uh, so is there any innovation which has happened in the recent in the banking and financial services including from banks or fintechs which is you really think or you really thought is amazing and this will uh, you know is is something which you have thought that this should have been come earlier or or what are the innovation which has really baffled you or, or really said that this is you know india is moving in the right direction so very good question manish uh, manish if you remember when we were in city financial we used to have one uh, we used to demonstrate how we could write a loan uh, giving a guy a laptop a mobile phone and a motor scooter right yes uh, and uh, in those days we used to demonstrate it to all those foreigners and feel happy in india today you can do it because the information availability the, the which which wasn't there in those days is there now there is an information stack that gives you all the information that you need to actually uh, by and large write a loan uh, you have the ability to execute contracts paperlessly so the aadhar uh, based execution of loan docs is possible which is what kvb does actually for all its home loans etc it's it's a it's a paperless fingerprint based authentication based on aadhar so the information stack that is available is really world class there aren't very many places in the world where this information is available the only place where you would i would think more information is available it's actually korea the difference between india and korea is that in korea when somebody applies for a loan let's say he wants a personal loan he comes to the korea bank website he authenticates himself every korean has a digital signature so he authenticates using a digital signature and then using the digital signature he gives us access to his um, uh, income tax records through another uh, website We, you can pull the five or six bureaus that exist. I think there are five bureaus in Korea. You can pull all of them, run your scorecard. At the same time, you can actually ping the bank, right? You can, from a bank-to-bank -bank basis, you can ping the bank and say, "Okay, this bank account number. Please tell me who is the holder, right? Is it Manish Kumar with a national ID number of ABCDFGH?" And when everything comes back, right? you now know that that bank account belongs to him you know his income because you are able to pull his tax records and then you are able to run his bureau right then and since you authenticated his bank account you can actually credit the bank account and be done with it right now in india the only step i can't do is actually authenticating the bank account to which the money is going yeah so that's the one step that is missing but everything else is there so to answer your question i think the one thing that has happened is information has become available b technology has become such that it is actually usable the user experience when you are using the technology is not like what it used to be in the past in the past you press the return button and then wait for 50 seconds before the screen slowly refreshes right because the bandwidth was so low or the processing power on the other side was so low that it took a long time for things to come back so while 
technically all that you could do today you could do 10 years ago or 15 years ago it wasn't really a feasible solution today you know everything is feasible i'll give you an example i opened uh, a broking account uh, the other day and my experience was spectacular actually you know the the way the entire process for opening was handled the way it was completely paperless i haven't signed a piece of paper i've uploaded a few images but everything is paperless and i the broking account is up and running and i've started using it this could not have been possible because without the information stack that we have what they call india stack and it wouldn't have been possible without technology evolving in the way it has so i think uh, uh, going forward there is no option banks don't have an option they have to change the way they do business like uh, kashi was saying and and they understand it and you know i think the evolutionary process will only get speeded up because of covid nobody wants to shake hands with anybody nobody wants to touch anything that other people have touched so perforce um, some of the stuff that fintech can do well which is doing stuff at a distance uh, will have to gain traction long long answer to a short question manish sure thanks thanks sir so kashi sir i mean before we move to the questions sir and there are a lot of questions from the audiences uh what's your advice to banks and fintechs well it's a um i i don't know whether i can uh, be in a position to advise banks and fintechs but i guess uh, uh so so uh i think uh, i would i would uh, uh talk about the relationship that banks can perhaps have with fintech and and the other way around i mean on that part i will uh, you know put my Uh, comments uh, so so uh, as far as uh, you know fintechs um, uh, do bring uh, tremendous value to the table so one must uh, you know uh, look at uh, uh, all the areas where fintechs can add value not just in sourcing of the leads so today you know we can talk about uh, multiple collaboration with uh, fintech who are uh, you know not only assisting us in you know some kind of uh, nca new customer acquisition but more importantly the you know we are uh, pivoting the models of fintech in uh, in driving customer experience uh, driving operations so for example we have robotized a huge part of our operations uh, you know we have uh, put in uh, bots which uh, which are available in most of our channels we are learning heavily from it as to how to respond to it and these are these have all been possible by uh, collaboration uh, the fintech uh, so so one advice uh, to the fintechs would be to say that uh, when you do approach banks your value proposition should be uh, very clear one and two uh, you should step into the shoes of the bank and and, and not uh, be uh, riveted in the position of your product because see as a as a you know be many of us who create products we tend to get anchored about my own proposition i have created and stuff like that whereas that may or may not be the way the world sees it so it might require you to pivot your business model it might require you to do pilots piloting is a very powerful tool poc etc which i i would definitely think that whenever fintechs are approaching banks they must uh, you know uh, have this uh, you know right away to say that hey look i will do a poc with you uh, the free of cost or whatever at, uh, at whatever time it takes because you have to understand that uh, uh, you know um, uh, that banks have to see uh, what it does for you one has a hazy idea in mind you do a poc then that hazy idea becomes uh, you know slightly more concrete and then you you have to understand there is a process of getting your investment dollars in bank so then you get easy idea into a little bit concrete idea and go with that get your budgets right that's a process one has to be patient for that process come back and then do little bit more uh, you know the first step second step implementation and go through uh, you know to the uh, to the whole uh, process so that is one uh, key piece of uh, you know my personal experiences of dealing with fintech i could say that uh, usually beneficial 
it will hugely benefit both the banks as well as the fintechs thanks kashi sir this is this is really really very valuable i think uh, so intrinsically banks do want to work with fintech let me tell you that sure i, I think so mahesh down the path for any uh, anybody any entrepreneurs or any fintech enthusiasts who are listening right now i think you pretty much laid down the path of how you want to start and how you want to partner with banks so thanks a lot for that i think people should definitely uh, listen to that what what you have said in terms of the partnership with bank uh, so we are coming to the very much end so i will um, request uh, uh, you all to answer there are a lot of questions that are coming so we'll filter some of the questions uh, for you uh, so seshal uh, one question for you is uh, which has come from uh, one uh, one of our audiences how can banks change their stance from being fair weather friend uh it's a very good question um you know when i joined banking when i joined city bank way back in the early 90s i was taught that banks lend, like to lend to people who don't need the money so the ideal customer for a bank is somebody who actually doesn't want the money right uh now banks by definition are are custodians of public funds kashi mentioned the words uh, you know fiduciary the banks have the ultimate fiduciary responsibility of ensuring that depositors money is safe banks are not lending their money they are lending depositors money so by definition by given the nature of their role they have to protect the depositors money so if there is a customer the environment has moved against him uh, the bank has to figure out whether more money needs to be given to that customer whether that more money is actually throwing good money after bad right and very often banks are unable to fig- figure out the difference between a, uh, a liquidity issue and a solvency issue they are actually interlinked a liquidity issue very soon becomes a solvency issue and given the nature and the type of balance sheets then pnls that we provide in our in our country become very difficult for banks to figure out which is what what is happening to the client so if a client is having a liquidity problem bank should give him a little bit more money so that he can get out of the liquidity problem right but if he is actually having a solvency problem if the banks give him more money the bank is only throwing good money after bad money so banks are unable to figure out whether it is a liquidity issue or a solvency issue and consequently very often they make the they make the wrong choice for clients who are only experiencing a liquidity problem they refuse to provide assistance so they make both the type 1 error as well as the type 2 error they end up providing liquidity where they should not and they end up not giving liquidity where they should so it is a, it is a necessary outcome of the role that a banker has to play right the banker's job is to protect the depositor first so if you keep that in mind you'll understand why bankers behave the way they do I'm not saying that's the right way of doing it there are other issues i am uh, obviously the banker would like to help a customer and uh, if if they had perfect foresight they would be able to provide it but you know we are working in imperfect information societies and sometimes we have to make a call which may not be appropriate i trust i've answered the question manish sure sir absolutely just uh, just to add uh, this is a very interesting point i mean uh, you know let's put ourselves in a place where uh, you know there is a 65 year old retired retired person who has put all his money in a particular bank right and your neighbor has uh, started a restaurant which has borrowed money from the same bank and he has uh, say you know his business is doing bad and he is out there on the street uh, what would you expect your banker to do would you expect your banker to you know uh, take all your life savings away and give it to that uh, uh, person would you call him a great bank would you respect that bank or would you respect the other bank who Uh, who safeguards your money there is no right answer to this but uh, in essence what mr sheshadri said that this is uh, you know this is part of uh, uh, 
you know, powerful course in this business. Uh, uh, yeah, you have to you have to be that way because that's the nature of your business because you have to protect the depositors' money. And if you don't protect the depositor money, we have seen instances of banks going belly up, and you know what happens after that. Absolutely right. Absolutely, I totally agree with uh, with the answer. Uh, so I'm changing a little bit of. There is a very interesting question which is coming up, which is how do you interpret the shift from fintech to tech fin, where technology giants wants to enter in the banking domain? So we see Google starting Google Pay, Facebook, WhatsApp Pay, and there is a lot of these tech giants who are now going trying to become into fintech and uh, taking out like you know on the banking domain. So. Uh, Kashi sir, this question for you: How do you uh, interpret this, and what what maybe the you know I I don't know whether we should say what's the uh, plan for the banks to safeguard their turf from the uh, tech giants, or uh, you know is it still the uh, collaboration mode with these tech giants, or is it uh, do you feel them as a threat right now? See. Uh... You know, it's a uh, yeah. The world is at an interesting precipice of uh, fintech versus tech fin, and we have seen uh, at least in China, we have seen a lot of tech fin uh, kind of uh, be in the forefront of uh, a lot of retail, uh, you know, finance and payments. Uh, we have Ant Financials and WeChat and all of other these payment modes have become very significant. Uh, we have seen the rise of Google Pay and Amazon Pay, and Amazon wanting to come into banking, and all these uh, things are definitely happening, and. Uh, uh, there are two things that uh, we have to keep in mind, and you know we discussed that. Uh, one is the fiduciary responsibility that the banks have, and that uh, uh, places a huge amount of uh, trust, and trust needs to be earned. Uh, now, over time, uh, banking as an industry has uh, earned trust by doing a set of uh, practices uh, which are under regulation, time and again, time and again, demonstrated through. Tough times. Okay, there are banks which have gone belly up, but by and large, in the history, we have seen that uh, banks have maintained their uh, their their position of trust holders, right? Uh, now that's very very critical. When you say bank, the implicit in the word is the word trust, and therefore, okay, you can have various levels of trust. I trust Bank A more than Bank B, and therefore, I will pledge my life savings to that. You know, please understand one thing. Uh, the difficult business is banking, which Mr. Shishadri knows, and which I also handle a big way, is raising money, raising deposits. That's where difficulty, difficulty is, right? It is relatively easier to give loans because there are a lot of people with a, you know, uh, you know, um, asking for a loan. So the trust element in banking is, uh, is a tough one to create. Now, it remains to be seen, I'm not saying it's impossible, it remains to be seen whether the tech companies can parallel that trust. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's also possible that, uh, uh, you know, a huge change in technology such as blockchain or you know, uh, quantum computing and all of that stuff will deliver trust enabled through technology rather than process and regulation. Today, the trust is delivered by a set of process, a regulation, and banks' own you know policies, and there is a framework in which uh, it operates, and the public believes that it's entirely possible that you know the transition through blockchain and other such technology can uh, deliver the same trust through tech. If that were to happen, definitely uh, the banks and the tech companies stand at equal footing. Uh, you know, but by the time that were to happen, I can tell you bankers are not sitting quiet. They are also, you know, uh, doing their, uh, you know, rewiring and, you know, uh, stashing their uh, their whole tech stack and uh, trying to get as uh, nimble as as possible. Uh, so I certainly think uh, uh, the tech fin will definitely operate in the uh, in the carrier space. And uh, when I say carrier, means uh, you know, like uh, there is a lot of open banking which is happening uh, in the UK and the Europe. You have the PSD2 regulation which has come up, which uh, gives access, uh, permissioned access to your account information, which can help you to drive a lot of things. So I guess that large tech would come and uh, uh, 
occupy that space in terms of uh, creating a layer uh, uh, where you can uh, you know massage the customer data and give customers more but the implicit element of trust i would think uh, tend to think that for a long time would still remain with the bank you know i could be wrong but this is what i feel it may take quite a few years by which time i would tend to think the unfair advantage with the tech have today the banks will catch up because end of the day tech is you know it's all about investing time money and the architecture so so the trust is the key differentiator finally thank you manisha just to add uh, what kashi said uh, i think even uh, rbi is also uh, you know shown the path that um, there should be a uh, restrictive banking licenses where uh, payment banks and small finance banks maybe uh, there are many more uh, rbi can bring in where uh, specialization will be the key going forward at a banking system level and uh, everyone should not do everything is the kind of thing and uh, everyone should stick to their specializations and work more on that so that there is a better results which can uh, you know come into the customers uh, all kind of customers and that's something which is i am hoping forward uh, with uh, with regulators uh, bringing in more and more uh, uh, you know initiatives from that side and hopefully with that uh, that the fintech and the tech fin also will make sense in the long run to go so i uh, if i may add something manish um, see um, basically banks in india used to have three monopolies the first monopoly was on savings so we are the only institution that can actually legally accept savings uh, there are some deposit taking nbfcs but there are few right um, the second monopoly was on lending you know because of the way india is structured only certain uh, authorized entities can lend money now there is a there are a lot of nbfcs but there weren't that many in the past so basically there was a monopoly on lending and third was a monopoly on the payment system itself right if you remember till quite recently if you wanted to send money from delhi to uh, from bangalore to delhi you had to go get a demand draft you had to mail it and that other guy would have to bank it and it the whole process would take a week right uh, so there has been a democratization of these monopolies and these monopolies are slowly beginning to shrink the one area where the monopoly is under most threat is the payment system because today you can move money 24/7 you can move it either through a bank or through some other institution it is um, and it's frictionless right the impact of this frictionless movement on the first monopoly okay which is basically savings is a question that one needs to be answered can the flow of money be directed by these entities into other entities so it was going to bank a but because i am using a payment system b it is going into bank c because he is able to influence you and and get you to move money somewhere else and because the entire thing is costless and frictionless that could actually happen so from a bank's point of view we are at a crossroad as to how to protect this monopoly that is given to us from the regulator right the the fintech or tech fin or what whatever you call them are in a position to disintermediate you there and that is a big 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 risk from a bank's perspective now currently i don't know how they make money is tech fin or fintech and all that i don't know whether they make money whether there is uh, spreads to be had or whether it is merely burning somebody else's cash uh, i don't know but having said that you know right now the economics are not clear to me but the economics on a cross border cross currency basis are absolutely clear because uh, not in india because in india banks have reduced uh, fx margin to such a low level that there is nothing left there for other people to play on on the basis of cost but in other markets fx margins continue to be relatively large and there is a very significant play on the fx side and their payment systems on a cross border basis can actually make a lot of money and can disintermediate banks but here on a domestic basis unless you have the capability to move savings out to preferred locations and there and then have a back to back deal with that entity to make some revenue i don't see how this is going to work for the tech fins 
But from a bank's perspective, and I'm speaking as a banker, these are worrying trends because it reduces the last monopoly that we had as a regulated entity. Right? Very right, very right, sir. Uh, there are a lot of questions that are coming up, but we have a shortage of time. Uh, so uh, what we may do is uh, we will uh, take these questions, ask our next uh, imminent panelists to maybe answer some of them later on and we can uh, uh, you know, email it to the answers to these questions. Uh, but thanks, thanks, Ashadisha, for coming here. Thanks, Kashisha, for coming here. Uh, thanks, Prashanna. This was really, really amazing discussion. Uh, I can see a lot of people saying this is a very great discussion. This is very good discussion. And a lot of people are asking for the recording of that. So thanks a lot for coming on to the panel. And uh, thanks a lot for giving uh, you know your uh, knowledge and your views on banking and fintech to all our audience as, as well as uh, to uh, all of us. FedEx. I think I was immensely, immensely, uh, you know, uh, get a lot of knowledge from this session. So thanks a lot for for this. Uh, thanks a lot for both uh, all of you.